This podcast is made possible by the generous support of listeners like you. Learn more at nypl.org slash podcast. And to make sure you never miss an episode, find us and subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. Welcome to the New York Public Library podcast, where each week we bring you conversations with world-renowned authors, artists, and thinkers recorded in front of a live audience in New York City. This week, we welcome celebrated artist Edmund DeWall, whose porcelain works can be found in major museum collections around the world. His new book, The White Road, chronicles the lure his chosen medium has held over the centuries, as well as its role in his own life and work. In this conversation with NYPL's Paul Holdengraber, DeWall talks about obsession, history, and why a ceramicist needs literature. Such a pleasure to have you back. It's and I think, I think people are sort of excited to hear what the new seven words would be. And I think what was so wonderful is that you, you know, like a little child, you, you just changed them at the last moment. You told me, I have different seven words. Will that be all right? <laughs> and I said, yes, but we won't get to them immediately because I want you to wait a moment before getting them. Before anything else, I would like you to read a couple of pages. Okay from the White Road right. to give people a sense of the style and maybe even the structure in some way of the book. And I showed you the pages. You did. And <laughs> being so obedient, it's wonderful. And I would I'm like... English. I'm, I'm English. I'm English. I do what I'm <laughs> bloody told. And, I, on, I, mean, and I would like you to maybe contextualize okay, okay. Those, those two pages. And here they are, and now the show is yours. So, uh, thank you very much. <laughs> um, so what I'm reading is I'm reading about an extraordinary man called Chernhaus. And he's a, he's a German mathematician and goddamn... What a strange thing to fall in love with a German mathematician. But I fell in love with this man who wanted to understand the world. And he's an extraordinary person who leads me towards porcelain. And, and this is... I have and, to, and, I, uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, just say a yeah. little bit more about when exactly. Okay, so he's, he's at the very end of the 17th century, be very beginning of the 18th century, and he's, he's hugely privileged and... Uh, man from the middle of nowhere in Germany, and he takes himself off. He, he falls in love with maths and takes himself off to sit at the feet of Spinoza, the great philosopher Spinoza. And then he takes himself on this great world tour of, of, of thinkers, of, of people, of philosophers, and he gets consumed by the idea of what might be possible, what the structure of, of materials are. And he's on the road, he's on the road to, to, to this, to porcelain. So he's a, he's a man who is in progress with an idea, which is pretty cool. It's pretty wonderful. It's pretty wonderful. And you want me to read? Yeah, and, yeah, and, okay. and, and in a yeah. way it's, it's so much of your journey. That may occur. <laughs> Go ahead. Okay. I settled down with his book, 
Chernhaus thinks that it's possible to analyze the products of the arts in a philosophical manner, that boats and bridges and buildings should be considered as arts of invention. These objects can train what he calls the active imagination because they exhibit all the possibilities of imagination. In fact, I realize, he takes on the world as possibility. As you walk down the street, there's nothing in the material world that you encounter that cannot be brought into this space of reflection. And at each point of this reflection, as you pause and look with dedication at this lamppost, this gateway, you recreate the manner of its creation. You move through the series of actions that caused it to come into being. And above all, he's interested, he writes, in how to obtain what should be observed in the first mode of the formation of things. How something comes into being is critical. It's a kind of poesis. And when I read this, my heart swells. This is my rubric of my journey to my white hills. This tracing of the first formation of porcelain from white earth into something else. Chernhaus is describing with a passionate lucidity the value of looking and thinking about how an object as an idea comes into being. And then I find he likes bridges, which is a mark of true sophistication in my eyes. The first piece of writing about art that truly mattered to me as a maker of things, structures, was an essay by the art historian Michael Baxendall in which he argued that the Firth of Fourth Bridge was an artwork. And Primo Levi, my hero, wrote in the, in the wrench of the advantage of being able to test yourself, not depending on others in the test, reflecting yourself in your work, on the pleasure of seeing your creature grow, beam after beam, bolt after bolt, necessary, symmetrical, suited to purpose, by which Primo Levi, a chemist who spent his working life analyzing paint as well as being a writer, means that method is interesting. Be very, very careful when you describe how something is made, how it comes into shape, as process is not to be skated over. The manner of what we make defines us. And so Chernhaus starts to work. He's used his great burning lenses to see what melts and when it melts, and what doesn't change under this intense heat. Things, substances, matter. The corporeal world is under siege. Spinoza holds ideas and decisions only valid if they're subspecie eternatus, from the perspective of eternity. Newton's prescription is to inquire diligently into the properties of things. And Leibniz writes in a tremendous letter to Chernhaus that no one should fear that the contemplation of character will lead us away from things themselves. On the contrary, it leads us into the interiority of things. Interiority has become an idea. And for Chernhaus, philosopher, mathematician, observer of how the world changes, porcelain is an idea to be scrutinized. It's compelling as it seems intractable, white material through which light can pass. 
it brings together two of the great concerns of his philosophers, China and light, into one great query. And then, because he looks to matters of first principle, he analyzes with pragmatism where to go with his idea, who will help him to make it fly, where he will find the resources he needs. His wife, Elizabeth, is from a family attached to the court in Saxony. And Saxony is rich in geology, in raw materials. And the Saxon court at Dresden has a group of men who are known to be experimenting with refining and smelting the technologies of fire. And so Chernhaus and his idea of porcelain go across Europe to Dresden, where Prince Augustus, the young visitor to the Trianon de Porcelaine in Versailles, is now King Augustus, the elector of Saxony. And if Chernhaus goes to Dresden, so do I. Well, that was an awful lot of philosophers. I think we covered the whole of 18th century philosophy there rather quickly. But how one feels such excitement in this journey, in the, way, in the present tense in which you describe it. One feels such excitement in discovering the interiority of things. That's because these people are totally alive. So Chernhaus, you know, who is a footnote of, of an, an irredeemable tininess in the histories of everything, you know, is actually an extraordinary present person. You know, and actually following him, bringing, you know, I try and f get, I get my pace into his pace. I just try and work out why he's reading and what he's reading and, and what he's picking up. And, and by the end of a year of being Chernhaus, you know, which is possible, you know, I, I, I'm truly, truly excited by this man who cares about the interiority of objects. I mean, what is cooler than that? I mean, what is cooler than that, Paul? I mean, nothing is more extraordinary than someone who cares about how objects come into being. Nothing is nothing. cooler than... than being immersed. Nothing is cooler. It's de profoundly I mean, dangerous to be immersed. I, mean, I, I, I know. It's got journey into an obsession. Uh, we will talk about okay. that. Okay. We will we talk okay. about... No, no, we will talk about the subtitle, yeah. but I want yeah. us to continue okay. to talk about yeah. immersion. Immersion, okay. You know, and, and Simon Weil's famous line that attention is a form of prayer. Right. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I love you finished, that. Line. You finished my line. Yeah. Maybe, maybe I've said it before. Maybe you know no, it. No, I just know that. Know it. Yeah. I know that line. And I know Simon Weil. I was spent most of my teenage years obsessing about Simon Weil. But that's a different conversation. <laughs> but, the, but, but, but prayer and attention, um, proper attention. Proper attention. Proper attention is very odd, actually, because it's, it's without script. That's the strange thing about it. So, you know, you, you learn your lines, you know, you, you, you read the books, you've, you've uh, learned how to do the, the algorithms and the, you've learned the mathematics, you've learned all the structures, but then, but then the attention that Chernhaus has, the real paying attention to what's happening when, when materials burn and change, takes him somewhere totally different. 
than where he expected to foresee, go, that he couldn't that foresee. He couldn't foresee. And that's amazing. That's absolutely and that is, cool. And that is cool. That I agree is cool. And what you managed to do in, in the books with many of the various uh, protagonists who become really heroes in some way yes. of the book is you manage to make what seemed like a footnote. You, you managed to bring them from the status of footnote to the main text. Well, you, you sort of yeah. bring, you know, it, it's yeah. really, it's like you're excavating them from the footnote and taking them up. Yeah, well, let's start again. Because, okay. Okay, because, you know, what is more boring than porcelain? You know, why on earth? Right, so I, was wonder, I was wondering you know, if you so were going to say that what is more uh, say, boring I mean, than footnotes. Well, no. no, 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 no. I mean, no. You, you take, you, porcelain is a footnote. You know, porcelain, well, it isn't, of course, it's the most extraordinary in the world, but porcelain seems to be a total footnote in, in, in decorative arts. It seems to be sedated part of cultural history. It's completely forgotten. It's the province of connoisseurs and collectors and, 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 and damn it, art historians and all those people who just don't care enough about it or care about it in the wrong kinds of ways. So actually to be able to, to, to bring it bring it from the world of footnotes, from the world of, 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 of dead, the, the deadly kind of uh, um, H anatomized kind of way. Um, of way writing which, history. Of writing thing. history, to bring actually the, the fact that actually they, you know, the discovery of it, it brings it out of the, 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 that, kind of, that kind of sea of footnotes at the bottom of the page right up into the main text, the main body of the story, and then you're starting to tell stories, which is what it's all about. The subtitle. Yeah, the subtitle. Different in English. Yeah, okay, this is uh, really interesting. <laughs> you, it's you, lucky that there are only two of us here talking about yeah, this, yeah, actually because actually it's yeah. quite <laughs> no, but, but difficult this, uh, territory uh, here. Uh, okay, so, okay, so, it's got okay. different titles. It's got different subtitles. So in, 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 in England, it's called A Pilgrimage of Sorts. And I love the of sorts. Yeah, so that's me being English. It's slightly self-deprecating, which is my to-go-to place of kind of in public. It's just not looking at anyone out there at all. So it's a pilgrimage of sorts. So, the, 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 so okay, the, the history of that is that it is a pilgrimage of sorts. It's me trying to work out who I am, you know, midlife crisis stuff. It's really a pilgrimage to, to, to real places and to real people, and it's of sorts, so that's fine. And here, it's journey into an obsession. Okay. Which is the other side of me, which is hugely focused, incredibly ambitious and scared. Obsession, you know, journey into an obsession. So it's, there are two bits of me here. Two different subtitles. Is that what you wanted me to say? I didn't want you to. I mean, the, the greatness of, of, um, of speaking with someone is that I don't want you to say anything in particular. It's like psychotherapy, this is. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, You ask who could not be obsessed. Yeah, who could not be obsessed? Who could not be obsessed yeah. by this? Yeah. I mean, who yeah. could? And, and it sort of reminds me of you know that wonderful line of Lessig, who says that all passions, even unpleasant, are as passions pleasant. 
right? Yeah, and, yeah. And who, 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 who I mean, who, even but, if, but, even but, but you know, it, I answer that. Yeah. I say that's a stupid rhetorical question, and I, <laughs> you know, and I start to make a list of all the people who couldn't, who aren't obsessed by porcelain. So, you know, that's you know, but but at the heart of at the heart of the obsession with porcelain, which is isn't a footnote. It is. It's it's a real profound story about uh, uh, about about purity about trying to make something which is totally white in the world. It's about, it's about scarcity. It's about uh, the most precious material in the world. It's about something which has come right across the globe. And it's about danger. You know, it's, it's a proper, proper area of obsession. It's not about crockery. It's not about crockery. It's about something... It's my epigraph. Is you know what is this thing of whiteness? It's Moby Dick. What is this thing of whiteness? That's a proper area of obsession, and the people have been obsessed. You know, I I kind of pick them well. You know, there there there's some really extraordinary people who have who have whose lives have been you, you, taken and, apart. And in a way, you, you you it's your secondary lineage. The here with amber eyes was the first lineage, the necessity of tracing, of going, of putting yourself in contact. And we'll speak about the notion of contact and tactility in a moment. But the necessity of going on that trip, of going in this particular case, if he went, I will go to Dresden. It seems to me that that's... You have total, to go. You have to go. I mean, but it and, seems and you can't not. I mean, there is no simulacrum of the experience. No, there really isn't. But you know what? I'm, I've, you know, I've tipped into my fifties. You know, so I've, you know, I'm kind of. You're, I've been doing you're, this. You're for, there. You're, you're in your fifties. I'm in my fifties. Yeah. 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 So, and I've and been it, doing this. Something happens then. Well, I, yeah. I, yeah. But I was coming up yeah. for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> really. Quite a long time. Yeah. So you know, but I've been doing this for a very, very long time. Forty years. Yeah, more. I mean, yeah. since I was a kid. You know, really small kid. So it's not. It, I have been thinking about it for a while. You know, I really have. But so I'm already on that. I'm already on that journey. I really, really am already on that journey. So the necessity to actually go and and be there. Um, is something that seems to me totally obvious. It seemed, it seemed to me that there's no, there's no anxiety involved in making the decision to, to go. go. It was just going. The, the, the complexity then became that, that, as all proper pilgrimages or journeys happen, cause problems, is that what I thought I was going to, of course, changed totally as soon as I got there. So, which is the marvellous contingency of journeys. But, but actually going, there is no simulacrum. You can't do this. You cannot do this by Google. You just, you just, you just can't do it. You can't get the taste. You know, it, it, I, I, um, in thinking of talking about this with you, I remember a line in Goethe's Faust where he says, all theory is grey, but forever green is a tree of life. And it, it seems to me that that's what you're after. Um, that's the, or in, di in a different term to, to since I'm a quotomaniac, 
by excellence. I yeah. can't speak without I quotations. I am well, th there is notes. a wonderful one yeah. line which might serve you at some point. Kierkegaard says that the goal is to arrive at immediacy after reflection. Yes, well, that's and bloody yeah, good. That's See, that really yeah. is. Uh, I have, I'll have that. I'll really wonderful, wonderful. So immediacy and reflection in, in that in that powerful, powerful combination. And how do you get how do you get immediacy? I mean, that's that's you that, know that, that but that, that, that is that, a journey. That's the, but that's that's what I'm bloody doing when I'm trying to make things as well as making books. It's you you want the immediacy of of, of the, well, that's why I use the present tense, which I get told off all the time, all the time for. But oh. but, that, but but we'll come back to that. Yeah. But the immediacy of actually making something beautiful in porcelain, that extraordinary moment when something is, it feels totally, totally, totally alive. To you're totally present in this, in, in this moment of, of creation. And also, simultaneously, a, a thousand years ago, you're, you're deep within... You're deep in China. You're deep within in, at Meissen. You're in the Cornish Hills. You're wherever you are. So you, you, all the tenses get, get completely muddled under under the lens of immediacy, which can only happen if you've done it forever. <laughs> if you've done all that walking, all that research, all that making. You know, the, the, first, the, the, the first day of my apprenticeship, my teacher said to me, my elderly, you know, this is 17, he said, Edmund, the first 30,000 pots you make are the worst. <laughs> and that's kind of cool because it says, you need a certain amount of reflection before you'll get to the immediacy. And you, you, you need um, that experience of, of failure. Failure is great. <laughs> I mean, failure is a really interesting place to start any conversation. I'm sorry we didn't, but... but <laughs> <laughs> I mean, well, for me, the, I mean, I... I, I well, you do at I the do, end. Actually. At the end of the book. Well, I do at also, the beginning. But of the also book. at the beginning, but also at the end. All the you know, yeah. and why not Lawrence Stern and why not Beckett and why and so many things that I haven't included. Yeah. The thing, the, the failure, failure, of course, is 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 the DNA of porcelain. If you if you're going to if you're going to think about porcelain, you're going to make about, make it. You're going to write about it. Your failure comes up very close and personal because. You know, you, you, you dig up these different clays and you blend them and they go wrong. You make a pot, it falls apart in your hands. You put it in the kiln, it comes out bloated and broken. You know, you try and glaze it, for God's sake. That's a disaster. Everything turns to shards. And everything you know, is everything. visibly everything failed. Goes, yeah, exactly. So, I mean, so, so, so the experience of, of having made a mistake is immediately yeah, tangible is, to you. So... All those that all those incredible um, transitive verbs of going wrong, <laughs> you know that extraordinary immediacy of, of falling, of, of, of falling and breaking and shattering and shedding and blistering and bloating and you know on on and on and warping. I mean, another book on warping. You know the whole thing. So, but and 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 that's what it's about. So it's not. It's, it's, if, you, if you're going to do this stuff, you have to understand failure. You have to, in some way, come to make sense with what failure entails. 
whiteness. It brought to mind an extraordinary moment when in 1907, in October of 1907, Rainer Maria Rilke went to the Palais d'Automne to see what then would have been the complete works as they were known of Cezanne. And he was the first person, one of the first people, great poet, who could write about this experience of seeing. And he writes a bit later in Le Cahier de Malte, he says, I'm 28 years old, I think I should begin to learn how to see. And in his letters on Cezanne, which he writes to Clara Rilke, who's a sculptor, who's working with Rodin, he says, October 8th, 1907, an exciting moment that this letter is written in. He just experienced Cezanne for the first time, and he says, I could imagine someone writing a monograph on the color blue. From the dense, waxy blue of the Pompeian wall paintings to Chardin and further to Cezanne. What a biography. Yes. Yeah. And in a way, I see a parallel between that and your quest for whiteness. Well, I, I'm more than happy with that, I have to say. I mean, my, you know, <laughs> damn it. Rilke, too. Um, yeah, Rilke. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, we, we could talk about Rilke for quite a long time as well. Um, the thing is, white gets more and more and more more complicated. You know, it gets so much more complicated in my life. The longer I go on, what have you found? You found something? No, it, it, really just, just, it, what, just I, I did find something. Uh, it's just so, so excellent, this. I don't know if it's... Do you want well, me to read this? Yes. Why not? Can I start there, though? You may start wherever you wish. Okay, I can start at the beginning here. You may. It's called, actually called Thoughts of Whiteness, this chapter. It's how, very how short. perfect. Okay. And it, it, this, it's this, I've, I've finally moved um, from my old factory, my old studio, into a much bigger, beautiful, whiter studio. I finally moved into my factory. There's an exhalation as crates are moved and kilns reconnected, and the heavy boxes of Jingdejen tiles are moved again with swearing. And we mark out on the new black concrete floor the dispossession of tiles and pots for an exhibition. And upstairs, where the offices used to be, is my writing room with books. And on my white wall, I have my white texts. There's quite a lot of poetry, some good bits of Wedgwood, some problematic, orotund Goethe on colour and light that I can't fathom, but know that I must get to grips with if I can put aside a few days. A week? Have I got a week for Goethe? And then I have Herman Melville's Moby Dick, chapter 42, The Whiteness of the Whale. In many natural objects, whiteness refiningly enhances beauty, as if imparting some special virtue of its own, as in marbles, japonicas, and pearls. And then I have his extraordinary sentence. The elusive quality it is, which causes the thoughts of whiteness, when divorced from more kindly associations, and coupled with any object terrible in itself to heighten that terror, to the furthest bounds. This sentence stretches across the wall 
cutting through everything. Thoughts of whiteness is underlined repeatedly. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the terribleness of white is very, very, very important to me. You know, it, it's, it's say, say more well, okay, because I think I mean, it's, okay, it's, so it's not. It's it's. I both feel it and I'm not okay. sure I understand. Okay, it. so there's 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 sort of whiteness of solace. There's 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 the whiteness of of calmness, um, of of that place of sort of of of, of reflection which seems to be meditative. There's and that's a very important white for me. That's. Uh, a, a white that I use quite a lot in my work. It's 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 the white of beginnings. You know, it's the white of the white page. It's, it's a, the white of the porcelain clothes. It's candid. It's in the, candid in the true sense yes, of the word. Yes, exactly. But then, of course, there's, there's 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 the white of erasure and the rubbing something out. Um, there's the, the white of 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 um, of, of terror. That extraordinary whiteness you have, you see when 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 actually you're very very frightened, when that you you can't focus. There's a sort of minatory, terrifying white, which is a, um, a, um, a compulsion to white, which is the white that I track in very painful ways through the book, through all the terrible people who have commissioned. And, and demanded white objects, purity, uh, out of objects because their lives are profoundly contaminated by the world. They are, you know, Chinese emperors and and Augustus the Strong and and all the way through to to, to Himmler, you know, people who who loved porcelain. The, white and, and, the and, whiteness and, of smoke. And then there's the whiteness of smoke. And, and it's not for nothing that, 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 that in, 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 in China, in Korea, in Japan, whiteness is mourning. I mean, mourning, mourning is, 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 is a very profound space in, in, in life. It's a very, very, very profound space in life. And whiteness is, 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 takes you apart. You know, it's, it's a, there's a reason you wear white when you're mourning. Black is a, is a terrible color to wear for mourning. Whiteness is a very profound color to wear. So white is, you know, it's, it's, it, white is a problem. And then, white is, and, then is, and then white is manifesto. You know, white is, white is what you do when you're, when you're telling the world you're going to start again. So white is Malevich. You know, it, it's that incredible moment of, 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 of and, and it's, you know, for Malevich, it's, it's painting over things and making them white as well. It's um, la feuille blanche. It's yeah. also the white page. Yes, it really is. So you want so to write... So it's filled with that terror also of the lack of inscription as of yet. Yes. I mean, so you get... You get <laughs> yes. You get... It's a, it's a, you want a biography of white. <sighs> You want a biography? Yeah. Of yes, you want. I so do I. I started one. Well, I was about to say, um, you know, Rilke wanted a biography of blue, mm -hmm. and you gave him a biography of white. Yes, yes, yes. At the very beginning of the book, you 
launches on a road. Um, indeed, a journey into obsession. And you say that you, you need to pay your dues. This journey is a paying of dues to those who have gone before. A paying of dues sounds appallingly pious, but it isn't. It is a lived truth, a bit declamatory, but a truth nonetheless. It's a good line, actually. It's pretty. It's actually, it's, yeah, it yeah, reads it, well. Yeah, yeah, it does. You wrote it brilliantly. I mean, but it is absolutely true because it does sound. You know, a paying of dues sounds hopelessly pious. It sounds like you're kind of just tidying up your life and you're just making sure everything's in place and you're sort of just patting the, the, the people you feel how you, who have gone before you on the back and going, you know, thanks, thanks for the help, you know, and now I'm somewhere else. It is profoundly problematic, that paying of dues, because of course when you go on that journey, of course, when you actually are in those people's footsteps, it changes you. It changes your your sense of 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 it changes your sense of, of history, of, of where you are in this continuum. It it turns things upside down. It deepens and and, and saddens and, and changes what you're capable of making. So So it, let's take those two okay. deepen and sadden. Yeah. Deepens, Deepen. de deepens because deepens because if you're on the if you're on the road with with people who have have a, have tried to do this before you have tried to kind of go into what what it is to make make something in the world or to 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 go into what 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 Earth is why we should use this stuff um, then what you're doing is you're you're opening yourself up to all the risks and, and fears that they had as well. So you, you go along that journey, and it's idiotic. It's idiotic, but actually, you know, when I'm writing about Chinese potters or I'm writing about Churn House in, 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 in Dresden, you know, when I'm actually writing about him, I don't know whether he's going to be able to do it. You know, I'm so involved in that. But I, I, I sort of I and fear for and, and, and in a way, he could do it because he was surrounded by other people who... Yep. He had companions. Yes. He had companions who went along the journey with him. And he uh, he yeah. wasn't totally alone. And in some way, your writing is a way of, of being accompanied. Yeah, well, you need... You need sustenance. You need sustenance. And actually finding people to walk along a road with is a really significant thing in your life. You know, it really is. Um, and it doesn't matter whether you're a, a poet or a gardener or a potter or, or, or whatever you do in life. You need to find companions from wherever they are and actually have them walk alongside you. And that sounds pious too, but it's also true. It's also bloody, it's bloody true. It really is. Tell me about, that for thing. instance, tell me about one of them. I mean, we, we well, spoke well, about, we spoke okay. about Ehren Fried Walter von Schirrenhaus. Yeah. Um, yeah. What a name to say. Yeah? But, yeah. Um, but talk about Pierre d'Entrecolle, or any of them. Okay, well, any, no, any I, of them. Well, I mean, well, William know, Cookworthy. William yeah. Cookworthy. Okay, so, so you want, you want. You didn't know if he would make it either. Yeah. So, so, so he, so 
unlikely people to love. You know, unlikely people to love. How about loving a Quaker chemist, apothecary, who comes from Devon, which is the dampest bit of England? You know, it's That's the greenest, damp. muddiest, you know, all, it all goes like this, you know, that's Devon, like that. And he, he's in Plymouth, which, where the rain happens every day. His neighbour, it's the early 18th century, and his neighbour is also a doctor. And his neighbour takes the rain every day. He makes a record for 40 years of how much rain falls in Plymouth every day. So when I'm writing about my William Cookworthy, I can work out how damp he was every single day of his life. So there he is, he's in Plymouth, and he's a man who loves talking to people. So he's off on his travels trying to find herbs and, and, and looking at, at the Devon countryside, and he has his horse called Prudence. Isn't that cool? You know, and he's a little stout, <laughs> and he's Quaker, so he wears black clothes. And he starts to talk to people, and he starts to talk to working people at the side of the road, and he picks up minerals and looks at, 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 at what's, where the mines are happening. It's Cornwall, and, and there people are trying to find tin and copper. And uh, in the evenings, he reads everything, because you know, if there's nothing to do. So he reads everything, and he reads, one of the things he reads is a wonderful letter that's come from China, from a Jesuit, which talks about how porcelain is made. And he reads it, and he starts to think, perhaps that white clay that I found when I was trying to find a particular burdock root, you know, when I was going off to set, take my pills off down to devices, what happens if I try and burn that clay? And it takes him 45 years. He builds a tiny kiln in his backyard, and he says in a letter to his brother, I have an idea of perfect porcelain. And it takes him 45 years to do it. And finally, 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 in Plymouth, in his backyard, he makes a porcelain pot. And what does he make? He makes a Cornish tankard for beer. And he writes on the bottom, CF, Cookworthy Feckit, Cookworthy made it. And it's heavy, and it's out of date, and it's terrible, and it's beautiful, and he made it. He made porcelain out of English clay because he was obsessed. He's, uh, he's wonderful. And, and in many ways, I mean, it, it, in, in hearing you speak about him in that way, one, one does hear the ideas of alchemy, of, of finding the secret to something, which is also the story of porcelain. Porcelain is alchemy. Porcelain is alchemy because it is totally mysterious. How can you make earth which is so fine that light comes through it. How can you make something out of white earth, different kinds of white earth, and then make something which is so light that it lifts into your hands when you pick it up? How can you make something out of white earth which when you, when you, when you do that to it, 
the, the sound just keeps sort of spiraling like smoke. It just keeps on going. That's alchemy. So you're already in the province of magic, of, of magic, of magic, of magic. You know, it's it's, and it doesn't matter if you're in a in 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 Dresden being locked up by the bloody awful Augustus the Strong, you know, with his horrific appetites and thousand bastard children and palaces, or if you're sitting in 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 Plymouth in the pouring rain, you still have to work it out. Actually, have to work out this alchemy all by yourself. From nothing, ex nihilo, white stuff out of nothing. And the writing of this for you, the search of this for you, is to use a word we used so pungently and powerfully four years and one month ago, is a, a work of restitution. It's a work of restitution. It's a different... I mean, I remember when we spoke about it last mm. time in a different con context, um, but I feel that neither your nor my obsessions have changed. And so we are, we're back. We're back to restitution. Yes. And we're, we're back to paying dues well, it, and... It's, it's, it, the, the, we're paying dues, but it's, it's, it's that searching, searching question, which is what is lost? You know, what is lost? And why is it lost? And how long is it going to be lost for? You know, are you going to find it? And I, you know, that it, it restitution is is the bringing back, is 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 the bringing back so that you can touch it, touch family, place, home, uh, memory. You know, it's it's a it's a hugely significant way of 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 attempting to put yourself in a different place in the world and bring someone back with you to that place. It's a, it's an, a beautiful and impossible and angry and ferocious thing to do. So restitution is... But, you can, but this is also restitution in the sense that this is trying to say, actually, there has been this profound loss of connection between this, the, these objects that are out in the world, these wonderful objects, these shards, and the people who actually made them. And uh, that's why I, this isn't about collectors or no, any of that it, stuff. It's, it's absolutely... And, and it, what I, but I it's about fragments. And it's, it's about, about fragments. It's about fragments and it's about fragility. And it's about dust. And vulnerability. Mm. Yeah. And fissure. And things that are fragile and on the point of being broken. Yes. And the writing of it is trying to be... You know, Michelet had a famous line where he said that the role of the historian was to make the silences of history speak. Yeah. And, and, and that is the word... That and, is and the work uh, that you're trying yeah. to and, do and, here. And, and, and E.P. Thompson. I'm going to cap your quote. E.P. Thompson, the great Marxist. I have another one coming up. Shit. Okay, go, go ahead. Okay. Yeah. Can I quickly put in yeah, my... Yeah. Go ahead. He said that the work of of of, of the historian is to is to is to resist the the, the condescension of history. You know, it's you, you kind of and, and the, there is this 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 slathering condensate. What's the word? Condens. Con I've lost my words. Thank you. Yeah, that. That one. That, that one. one. 
condescension. Thank you. Yeah, Thank my, you in the front row. With my lisp, it's and, impossible. And, and, condescension. You know, yeah. and, and, and actually, you know, that, that's... So, so making this book, making this book... Is, it's valid, is, uh, validating in some way, or re revaluing, or re... or prizing, it's, it's, or... It's just simply bringing people back. It's, you know, that's not... That's, 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 that's enough. That's a lot to ask for. Yes. It's difficult. It's difficult to do. And how do you do that? Well, you, c you know, so what are the challenges, you know, Paul? So what are the challenges? You can, how do you write something like that? You can, you can do it from with that horrific kind of patrician attitude of, of just knowing it all and just telling people stuff, you know, Actually, I know an awful lot about porcelain, and I'm going to let some of it out. And, you can and if you're lucky, you know, and you've read enough, you'll kind of get you might, the narrative. You, you might, might. You, you might. might. And then yeah. there's another way of writing it, which is in this fragmentary yeah, style, so, yeah. and with no footnotes. But if you want footnotes, you can go to this website, um, you, 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 you say further reading, there's a vast literature on porcelain, its manufacture and consumption, for a guide to those I have found most useful, with signposts towards books and articles that may prove illuminating. Please see... Are you ready? www.edmunddewal.com slash writing. Yeah, and it's that about is not con uh, condescension. No, it's no. So that you, is about appetite. Yeah. Okay, so if if you if you if you want to look up my unbelievably learned research, there's 45 pages of further reading. But, I know, but I but, mean, I didn't but, read it but, all, but I looked but how long you, it was. If you pick up a book, if you pick up a book, if you're in a, if you pick up a book, and you see that there are. 45 pages of further reading of the book uh, at the end. You know, you may choose to read it. You may choose to put it back on the, on, 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 you know, on the bookshelf. What I wanted to do was to write a book that you could read in the bath. I wanted to write, write a book that you actually wanted to read and not feel the swell of scholarship you know, that actually, you, if you want to go and look things up, Do. I'm so happy. Yeah. I'm so happy. And you've given the tagline of where it is. But similarly, I didn't want to have a book where you, it was just that what I hate are... Luckily, yes, I've started the sentence, so I'm going to finish it. Maybe differently okay. than you imagined you would start. Okay, so, so yeah. what I hate are books where you pick them up and you open them and they're like, 20 colour plates, colour photographs in the middle, you know, and it's just like all those images have been sucked into the middle of the book <laughs> and they're all exactly got the same kind of colour separation on them and they're all kind of glossy. And so you've got the text, and you're, you know, you're reading your text and it says C plate 17 and you, you kind of do this <laughs> and then and it's a glossy photograph. And, I, and so as you will notice... There are out-of-focus black-and-white photographs in this book in the manner of Sebald. Yeah. Because actually, what this is, is a book for reading. 
Thank you. So, um, in Salman Rushdie's Joseph Anton, he speaks about his history professor, Arthur Hibbert, history professor at Cambridge. This is what he writes. At the beginning of their work together, Arthur Hibbert gave him a piece of advice he never forgot. He writes in the third person. You must never write history, Hibbert said, until you can hear the people speak. He thought about that for years, and in the, end, in the end, it came to feel like a valuable guiding principle for fiction as well. If you didn't have a sense of how people spoke, you didn't know them well enough, and so you couldn't, you shouldn't tell their story. Et voilà. Yeah. No? Yeah, it's that terrific. It's terrific. So That's so, it. So, okay, so then it's about listening. So it's, a, it's about tuning in, isn't it? It's about actually who are you going to listen to and how long does it take to actually listen. So how long does it take to hear the timbre of someone's voice, their hesitations, the caesuras, the things they're missing out, the things that they're apprehensive about, the things that, they are, that, that they, they're seeking? How, how long does it take how much in love do you have to be with someone to be able to tune into their, their kind of storytelling? And you have to take a lot of time. You have to do a lot of right. listening, and you have to do a lot of re-listening and revisiting, and you have to be in the archives, and you have to read the letters, and most importantly of all, you have to walk up those hills and then walk down again and then walk up them again. You just have to do all that stuff because then you begin to begin, 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 begin to catch, catch perhaps the echoes of people's storytelling. And then perhaps you can inhabit them enough, a bit possibly, if you're lucky, it's if you're aspirational enough to actually begin to start to tell stories again about them. And it's, as one knows, for anybody who speaks, they, they begin to realize how hard it is to listen. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And then, and then of course, you have, to, you have to work out that the danger of writing other people's stories is that everything comes through this lens, this great big burning lens of your own obsessions. And, you know, are you going to homogenize everyone's stories that everyone talks like like or are you actually going to be allow enough space for the tempo of different kinds of storytelling to take place and in the book and that's really really difficult and those decisions are really that's difficult the fragmentary nature of the work or not quite well that partly that partly the fragmentation is partly the fragmentation is just simply uh it's, 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 there are numbers of reasons for this fragmentation. One is, one is that it's, it's the way I work. It's I, I, I make something... In bits and, and pieces. Yeah, I, I, I make something and I put it there so I can see it with some kind of clarity and then I make something else and put it next to it. So there's a synapse of energy between these and two. And space between. And spaces. So actually the, the, the spaces, the spaces in, 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 in the book are... are are 
oral. They're my way of listening to, listening to different gaps and, and pacing things in different ways. And they're visual, because actually, I find as I get older, I need more space around words, you know? I'm going to end up like Lydia Davis, God help me if I'm lucky, in my very, very old age with very, very short, very, very short things on very big pieces of paper. You know, that's my aspiration. Almost nothing there, lots and lots and lots of white space. But, 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 but fragmentation also gives you um, rhythms and energies across a whole book in a way that great, chunks, Chunk. chunky, midwestern prose just can't do. Uh, that was unintentionally and, 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 rude. I, can we erase that line? Actually, I've just gone screwed up my whole American career in one <laughs> idiotic line. Uh, and thus, I mean, in, in a way, I, I want you to make the jump to, to someone we, we both admire a lot. Um, the, the great poet from Bukovina, uh, Paul Celan, and and all the spaces between, which for you are so important in the kind of materiality of your work. You, you find also the space between the words and the fragmentary nature of his poetry to somehow, I don't know if it is help, but maybe it is help. Well, Celan, Salan is kind of very much in the heart of a lot of things for me. He ends the book. Also. He ends the book. He ends the book because I, I. He ends the book because I write about the making making an exhibition, which I call in sort of in conversation with him atemvenda breath turn. So I end the book by talking about the trying to make an exhibition around poetry and in conversation with Celan's poetry. But Celan is, begins and goes all the way through the book because Celan writes about white all the time. White is not just the white spaces around his, his, his later poetry as, as his poetry becomes more and more uh, cries and exhortations. They become more less and less um, uh, phrases. They become words which are kind of broken up and put back together again and, and, and very painful spaces around them. So, but there is so much white. He writes in so many of his poems about uh, uh, there's a, a landscape, a, a landscape of, of white which he returns to, which is the landscape of loss. And he talks you know, about the, 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 the terrible, moving acuity about the the whiteness of that his mother's hair never, his mother's white hair never became white. In the Shoah, she was killed in, in the camps, and he talks about white as as homecoming. That he he sees sleigh tracks going into in into white, and and knows that there is a possibility of home which is no possibility at all. So white keeps coming and going in his poetry. So white is absolutely his white holds a lot of the book together. And then at the end, I'm, we're talking about companions on the road. I talk about this incredible essay, this very, very beautiful essay by Celan. Celan, 
very rarely wrote prose. And, um, and he wrote this essay called The Meridian. And it's a tricky essay. He takes him nine lines to start. And his tenth line is, there are snags. <laughs> it took him six months to write it. His, it. The first six drafts were ladies and gentlemen, crossed out, put back in again, crossed out, put back in again. Seventh draft, he had an exclamation mark. He finds it incredibly difficult to talk, but when he does talk, he talks about this moment in poetry, this incredible moment, which he calls Atembende, breath turn, which is the moment between breathing in and breathing out, when all poetry is possible, this incredible, powerful pause in breath, when everything's possible. And when I read that, I thought, that's what I'm doing. And that's in the passage you, wrote at, uh, yeah. you read at the beginning. Yes. Everything is possible. Everything is possible. Everything is possible. And everything is breath, because breath is what you do when you're... Alive. Alive. And breath is poetry. And breath, of course, is the inside of a pot. It's what I'm doing when I make a vessel. Is I'm making a void. I'm making a space. Each pot is a kind of exhalation. So when I put these pots in, out in the world, I'm making poems and I'm thinking about breath. We're going to see some of them in a moment, but I have a couple of questions before to ask you. Are people too much? What I mean to say is, I'm assuming that in, in most cases, with few exceptions, maybe Sue and your children and some good friends, you might prefer the company of things. Or you might prefer bringing back those people for whom those things mattered so much? I quite like people. You know, I... I find there is a necessary solitude somewhere that I have to find in order to do the things I have to do. And the things I have to do get closer and closer and closer as I get older and older and older. The making and the writing are one practice. Some things turn out to be books, some things turn out to be exhibitions. But it's one practice. And they are both trying to find places of loss and find out what's happening there, find out what is recoverable, what you can bring back, what you can make live, and conversation with 
the wonderful, gritty, uh, noisy, marvelous, excessive world. But you see I with love them, that. you do love it. I love it. I love it. You need I love it. it. Yeah. I mean, I'm... I and at the same time, you're, you're in search of those... I'm passionately metaphysical. You know, I'm totally, totally alive to, to, to kind of ordinary life. You know, I really, really am. But there is something else as well. You know, I, I'm reminded of that line in, in Fragments of a Lover's Discourse where Bach talks about loving someone and he says that the greatest love is to be with the other and to think about something else. <laughs> you know, you're in their presence, but there's so many other things that occupy you. That's very good. Um, <laughs> but um, I, I, let, 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 let's... let's can I read your seven words? Um, they were going to be, I pick it up and start again. And then you said, no, no, no. Start again. Start again. Start again. Start. Yeah, that's, that's the new version. It's better. And it's, it's better. better. It's I better. would agree it's better. You, yeah. you did improve, but I think mm. that what, what I think is interesting mm. about it is when you ended, and I counted the words because I've been given six words, I've been given nine words, I've been given five words, and in this particular moment, when I ask for seven words, I want seven words, yeah. and you gave me seven words. Mm. And, when you, yeah, and when you finished with start, you added, that's where I am now. Yeah. And that yeah. is interesting, yeah. because that yeah. also yeah. brings us yeah. back to the yeah. metaphysical yeah. in so, some way. So, so, yeah. Now, the reason for writing a book is to clear the decks. You know, you really, the, the, you know, you can, the, so starting again is really, really important. It's, it's, it's huge. Fresh, it's, yeah. white. So, the, so, so the, the, the last thing I did, the, the last book I did, the family book, that was, that was a real attempt to try and work something out and to s just to get my feet on the ground to try and work out which bit of ground I was standing on. You know. And that took bloody years. That took bloody years. It really did. But it worked. It got my feet on the ground. And I could work out a bit more about who I was. And this book allows me to start again in a different way because it actually tells me that... that, that uh, basically, and this is that I'm not alone in this ridiculous, idiotic, obsessional, beautiful, trying to work out what this stuff is about. And where you come from. It's a different kind of autobiography. Yeah. It's about where I come from. You, you say at the beginning of the book the act of reimagining it by picking it up is an act of remaking that that's what that's the core that's what you're trying to do well it happens re yeah it re happens redo when you when you pick something up when i pick something up and i give it enough time then that does start again. It takes me back into something that's, that's happened. At some point, 
in history. And I, 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 that, that possibility of remaking, of, of, of feeling that kind of connection with what's happened. Of saving in some way. Yeah, I mean, it, it sounds it, crazily hubristic. But, but, it's no, not, but, but, it's but it, not. Is, it is like you're a lumpensammler. You're, you're, you're saving, do you know that word? No, I'm really um, scared. Um, We're going to go now into German. No, 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 no. But lumpensammler means someone who collects the detritus of the world and picks them up in order to save them from oblivion. That I love. I'll have oh, that. Okay. I mean, yes. um, I mean, there are lots. Uh, a yeah. uh, uh, few, f few more moments before we we get to some images. Um, in talking about what can be gleaned through the object, you write, "I love these moments when you feel the decision. This was to smudge a piece of wet clay over an incipient crack and press down and move on." And then in italics, "Good enough." is not a term in art history. I think as I slowly shift the vase round in my hands from daisies to camellias to daisies, but good enough should be there. And it reminded me, I don't have it here, I forgot it, of this wonderful passage in Benjamin's Storyteller where he quotes Paul Valéry who says, modern man no longer works at what cannot be abbreviated. Yes, yes, yes. And that's yeah. it. Yeah. Well, you, you, uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Look, if you're going to sit there and talk to me about Walter Benjamin, I mean, we'll never get out of the okay. building. Never so, get out of the um, building. Because actually, you know, I mean, uh, yeah. Okay. So why... Yeah. <laughs> So we won't, we won't. We'll okay. just stay here for hours talking okay. about Walter Benjamin. Okay, and, and that's fine by me because I can talk more than you can about Walter Benjamin. Okay, I let's promise you that. That's, yeah. that's, 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 I'm saying that in public. It's true. Okay, no, no, no. Yeah. Okay. Right. To be redone at another moment. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Why does a potter like you need literature? Oh, that's a stupid thing to ask. Yeah. Because. But, but because, but why, because, why, do, because, why? Because, no, 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 no. What, that you turn it on its head. Okay. What, what, why don't? Why? Why? If you make things, aren't you totally, Devoted totally to alive to the poetry of what you're doing? I mean, it, it, you know, it, it's, it's it, a it, stupid it, question, it, but, no, but a great answer. No, well, <laughs> but a great and, answer. And literature is a really deadly word. So talk about poetry. Okay. So why, if you're making things, aren't you living and breathing? Poetry, you know, I placed a jar in Tennessee and round it was upon the hill. You know, come on. I mean, every time you make something and you put it down, you are making a phrase, you're making a, you're making a word, and you live and breathe rhythms and, 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 and phrases. You, you know, you, so if you've got any aliveness to words or song or anything, then, 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 it, then it's, it's one thing. You, you, you talk about your pots, and you spoke about this a bit earlier, and music, and the way in which you've created this vessel, and you've created this emptiness, and you're hearing. Let's look at some images. If we could look at images 3 through 12, please, and just... You just, they'll be appearing there, and you just say a next, place, next when you... A, a place made fast. I mean, this is Salam. This is, this is, this is 
so this is the object. This is, you can see that this is poetry. I mean, this is this is. Tell me why, because I'm, 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 I want to understand. This is an attempt to try and make coherence out of something which is incoherent, out of a feeling of, of, of despair, actually, when things can't be brought together in kind of beautiful ways, when lyricism is lost. And so what you've got left is you've got bits, fragments, you've got leftovers to use your phrase you know you've got things which are close to shards so these are pots that have been made quickly they're single breaths they've been made in, in in no time at all and then they're glazed with these series of whites these are selan's whites and this is a huge vitrine it's as big as this screen and it's not full it's not just a vitrine like in a museum just packed with stuff it's actually and when you see it, I, it's, it's, you, you're aware of all those spaces and all those gaps, but I hope you're also aware of, of the white page, of, of, of the attempt to try and bring things together in odd ways. And, make and, it, and it makes me think of allegory. It makes me think of this something somewhere else happening. I have no understanding of that. Doesn't matter. I'm not sure I do either. Um, here, I see musical notes. You're on the right track. So this... I caught myself here. Yeah, but it really is. Yes, yes. so this, really is, this, this I've just made this. This is going to show... I'm showing this in a, an exhibition in the new year. So this is called Composition for Three Voices, which was John Cage. And it's three different things in each of these cases. It's, in fact, Cage... I've been reading Cage kind of on and on and on and on and listening to Cage and, 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 and his wonderful plenitude that Cage brings about how to, how, to, how to work with chance, how to identify serial, seriality and then muck it up, how to bring things into different kinds of inquisition and then, and then, and then just enjoy the mess. So this is composition for three voices. Uh, this is, in each of these little vitrines, they're so big. They're as big as your piece of, can I borrow your notes? Yeah, you they're sure. that big. No, you can have them back. Thank you. So each of these things is, is, is one porcelain vessel or two, and then, and then a, a tiny piece of lead, which I've painted white, and then a bit of gold. So there are three voices. And for Cage, it was three instruments. For me, it's porcelain, lead, and gold. But when, I, when you walk along this, it's a whole wall of these, you listen to it, I hope. And this, these are all very, very new. These are all very, very new. And these are, are ways, this is called an idea. And this, uh, an idea, a place, a word. And this is, I like this one. And this, this is part of, there are, there are 20 of these. This is pure generosity. There are 20 of these. These are aluminium boxes. Um, this is called 10,000 Things for John Cage. And, and the boxes are so big 
and in each is a black pots and, and a piece of corten steel. And I, put, I walked along and I put the corten steel down, just bang, 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 20 times. And then I put in the pots. And there's this great, wonderful, musical conversation going on with the heaviest thing in the world, corten steel and porcelain. The porcelain pots weigh nothing at all. But each one is a kind of frame, a kind of moment, uh, uh, orally, caught orally, between, between this, the sound of the placing of one kind and of the other. What's next? More. More and less space. And this is, this is my meditation on Californian weather. It's a thousand different kinds of blue sky. It's white and less white. It's yeah. And this is Celan. This is called black milk. Yeah, from that. From Todas Fuge. From with the, 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 the toughest, the, toughest. Probably the toughest. The toughest. I know. Toughest. And you know, artists come to Celan. I mean, famously Kiefer. You know. I know. Yeah. I do know. Yeah. And for me, this is black milk because this is, this is my thinking about Salan's incredible poem, Death Fugue. We drink black milk at daybreak. It's also black milk. I don't know. There's another detail, I think, of it coming up. Possibly. Yeah. Um, because, of course, what it is, it's, 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 it's white objects that have become black. It's curdled. It's black milk. And it's, in its heart, there's a kind of, there's a kind of a moment of connection um, for me with, with this fact that once you've made something in the world, you can't unmake it. You know, you can't undo it. So the reason that I, I have written a book, which is a book through fragments, which is a book through shards, is an attempt to try and really, through my hands and through my head, try and, and work out just how much brokenness there is. And in, in the Jewish tradition, Shards occupy so much space, the brokenness. Yeah, I mean, uh, my favorite man, Job, <laughs> sits on a pile of broken potsherds. He's a useful person to think about. As always, not, not we cheerfully. Um, yeah, and the book starts me, me going up a a hillside in Jingdezhen and, and uh, up a white hill trying to find where these kilns started a thousand years ago and I look under my feet and I pick, up, I pick this up and it's, it's a broken pot from a thousand years ago. Because I asked you, what and is it? And you said, I, I, I have it. I have if it. we could look at image one, please. And 
I, I'm, I'm totally silent for once yeah. as I look at this pot. And then my guide just points, and the whole hillside is millions of broken shards. It's a whole landscape of brokenness. It just goes on and on and on for hundreds and hundreds of feet, tens and tens and tens of thousands of broken porcelain pots. And that's, that's the beginning. That's the beginning for me. That's the start. You know, it's, it's this. And when you pick it up, you know, how can you not want to tell a story? I mean, how can you, how not, can want, you not be how obsessed? How can you not want to be obsessed? Um, you have to answer in the affirmative. You know, you have to, at this point, you can't I, hang I, it out to dry and go. No, I, 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 I feel the obsession dawning. Yeah. Um, Famously, the toughest interviewer in New York. The, the mu um, mu music and 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 your work, uh, a, a great um, a great sense of contiguity. It's the question I asked you before about literature and 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 making. Music occupies your life, yes. and you work to it, and it it. Um, it was this wonderful piece that I read where you talk about the various musical moments that matter to you, from Keith Jarrett to Purcell, to the piece we're going to listen to, if we could. Thanks for listening to the New York Public Library podcast. If you like what you hear, subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Stitcher. And please leave us a review. It really helps us out a lot. You can follow NYPL on Twitter or Facebook and sign up for our newsletter at nypl.org.